Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross, and it is time for a preview of the 2023 Western and Southern Open in the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio, slash Mason, Ohio. This is going to be interesting, uh, considering the fact that most U.S. Open contenders did not play well in Toronto. In fact, only one U.S. Open title contender, if we're being realistic, has actually had a good week. It's Yannick Sinner. He'll have a chance to win the title in about 12 hours from now, at the time I'm recording. Other than that, a lot of early defeats. You know, Alcaraz and Medvedev, round of 16. Everybody else pretty much earlier than that. So now, you go into Cincinnati, take an early loss there... And you basically go into the U.S. Open with zero momentum and zero uh, results under your belt. You do not want to be in that position. I guess, in general, Cincinnati tends to play a little bit more towards the favorites than Canada, considering the fact it is one week closer to the U.S. Open. Uh, You do see guys start to just get their hardcore feet under them to a larger extent and really lock in and and start to focus and find their form a little bit more. Uh, We did see two years ago, the top four seeds were the semifinals. One, two, three, four semifinals. That was 2021. Last year, uh, seeds held with Medvedev and Tsitsipas, uh, but there was kind of the surprise champion in Borna Chorich. One thing I do not expect to see is a lot of players who had big runs in Canada do it again in Cincinnati. That's not something you'll see a lot. You'll see the top players do it, the elite, the players who not only are just good enough to repeat great results on a week-to-week basis, but also top eight seeds, they get a buy. It's a little bit easier. But to play every single day two weeks in a row against great opponents in these condensed draws. If you are someone like Davidovich Fakina or Demonor or Tommy Paul, that's very, very hard. So one thing you'll notice as I go into this prediction, these predictions, which, boy, low bar, but I hope they're better than last week, which was maybe one of the worst of all time. 
I'm not going to really be putting all that much weight into, wow, they're in great form. They did great in Toronto, so let's pick them to go far in Cincinnati. Not going to fall into that trap. I mean, last year, just as an example, Karen Yabusta, Hercotch, Canada final, first round loss, first round loss. And I think that is not uncommon that you see something like that occur. So, with that all said, let's get into Carlos Alcaraz's quarter. He is the top seed. You got Casper Ruud, Francis Tiafo, and Tommy Paul. My dark horse is Talon Griegspor. Griegspor, I've been a fan of, of his tennis all year long. As long as the surface isn't too slow. I don't want Griegspor to have to be doing a lot of running and defending physical rallies. I don't think he's a an A-plus athlete, and I think that's where he can be vulnerable. But on court surfaces that reward his offensive skill set, I just think he's been playing really good tennis all year long. He needs a quick surface where his serve is effective, his net rushing is effective. I think Cincinnati is that for him. Obviously, he made the final in Washington, D.C., lost first round in Canada. See, that happens a lot. That just happens a lot. Uh, but now he should be kind of able to reset, and I think he's a dark horse here. Of course, he's got that very difficult first round against Francis Tiafo, who I also think should like these conditions, although he's been pretty mediocre in Cincinnati in his career, surprisingly. He's got a career record of 5-6, and six, and the last time he passed the second round was back in 2017. On upset alert, I have Tommy Paul. Not much reason, you know, not much going into this other than the fact that he is uh, having to deal with the tough turnaround. He's got uh, Misha Ketsmanovic in the first round. Ketsmanovic hasn't had a good year, uh, but he does make you work hard, and these are his best conditions of fast, outdoor, hard court. So I think that could get somewhat dangerous for him. Overall, I think this is just a great quarter for Carlos Alcaraz. I mean, it's it's hard to say. First of all, there's a lot of qualifiers here. And there's two in Alcaraz's section, and then there's one on the bottom section. There's three qualifiers in this quarter, which is more than any other quarter. And I don't love to do these previews sometimes for the for the Masters 1000s with the 56-player draws because the qualifiers are so, so good. So it's tough to even—they can really affect the tournament. So it's hard to fill out your bracket before they're placed because, like, you're looking at Alcaraz's first match, and it's against John Isner or a qualifier. You know, you don't really know who he's playing. So you do have that disadvantage. But overall— you look at Casparud uh, has really struggled in Cincinnati. I'm, I'm, I don't think his results have been impressive at all. Last year, he lost to Ben Shelton before he was even a professional tennis player. I mean, that's unfair, but you know what I mean. He he, he might have been going back to college if he didn't beat Casparud in that match. Uh, he lost really, really badly to, to Zverev the year before. He's taken a loss to Schwartzman in Cincinnati. That was in 2020. Schwartzman was very good in 2020, albeit. Uh, and that wasn't even in Cincinnati. That was in New York. Uh, but yeah, Casper struggled here. I, I didn't mind his level, and I do think that Rude is 
actually playing better tennis and he's in a good place. And that's why I do have him going to the quarterfinal. But again, Tiafo shaky results in Cincinnati. Rude shaky results in Cincinnati. I do like Greekspor, but uh, even him, I'm not really ready to say that he's going to make a Masters 1000 semifinal, something that he has never done in his career. I, I do think that this is a good quarter for Alcaraz. Just needs to play a little bit better than he did in Canada. I mean, it, it's hard to kind of figure out why his forehand was so off so consistently. I thought that at least after the Hercotch match, he was going to start to find a rhythm there, and he didn't. Uh, but you have to think that it's going to be a little bit better. And if not, he still showed an ability to kind of, again, kind of win ugly in Canada. And that is uh, a positive thing. I do think that the quicker conditions... I, I, I don't know. I don't know what effect... I guess. I guess the positive for Alcaraz is that they're different conditions, right? Like anything other than that, because that last week was not working for him. So that's all you can say about Alcaraz. I put him through here. I think it's a just a positive quarter for him for the most part. Uh, Isner would stink. You know, that's not comfortable. John did make the quarterfinals of Cincinnati last year. Off the top of my head, that's the last good run that Isner has had. But if it's going to be really hot, that actually helps Isner serve. The ball just goes quicker. It plays more lively. So, you know, you, you don't want to play John Isner if you're looking for rhythm and form. But other than that, I, I do think it's a good quarter for Alcaraz. Pass's quarter has Andre Rublev, Karen Hatchinov, and Borna Chorich. Dark horse here, two of them. I want to put Chris Eubanks, and I want to put Hubert Hercotch. So Eubanks, first of all, has Ben Shelton first round. That could have been an early popcorn. I went another direction. Uh, it was actually the Shelton win for Eubanks in Mallorca that really kick-started this big run that he's had. Because Shelton beat him twice in Challengers last year. And it's a bad matchup for Eubanks with the lefty serve into his backhand. And when Eubanks figured that out and beat him in Mallorca, I think that gave him a ton of confidence moving forward, and then the rest was history. If Eubanks beats Shelton, he'll get Tsitsipas. That's uncomfortable. That's very uncomfortable. Obviously, Eubanks beat him in, at Wimbledon, and this is a similarly quick court where Eubanks spot serving to Tsitsipas's backhand and coming in behind the serve, coming in behind the plus one, applying that kind of pressure, uh, it, it can be kind of problematic. Hubert Hercotch has been awful in Cincinnati. Two and five in his career. It's been his worst Masters 1000. I don't get why. I just don't. It doesn't make much sense to me. Sometimes in the quicker conditions, Hercotch's forehand can be a little bit worse, a little rushed, doesn't like the low bounce on his forehand, actually prefers when it's a little bit higher. Maybe that's the reason. But I actually think the bigger reason is that he's just done really well in Canada. And I think that's the best theory for why he hasn't done well in Cincinnati. This year in Canada, round of 16 loss, to me, Hercotch actually playing pretty well right now in general. He's got to be a dark horse. 
Hardcore Masters, best of three North America. I know he hasn't been good in Cincinnati. Still a dark horse for my money. Upset alert. Uh, there are a couple of options here. Uh, I went with Pass, but I probably shouldn't have maybe. I don't know. I, I think, look, I think Shelton or Eubanks, either one is tough. And that's why I put Pass on upset alert. Uh, but he has been pretty consistent here. He made the final last year. He's made a couple of semis here as well. Um, and in that respect, you kind of expect that that TT Pass plays well this week. Uh, but also, it's not just Shelton Eubanks. It's Hercotch. It's Korda. It's defending champion Chorich, who I don't think will end up playing TT Pass. So, night nightmare draw. That's why he's upset alert. It's not that. Also, not only nightmare draw. I'm like. A little bit on the fence. I don't know how I feel about Pass's loss last week against Monfils. On one hand, he just won the title in Los Cabos. And as I said, it's just, it's hard to play your next match after winning a title. I get it. On the uh, And on top of that, Gail Monfils playing great tennis. Moving extremely well. Great ball striking. It's all good. At the same time, uh, it just, he felt like, it just looked like he was going through the motions. Just didn't look engaged at all. He looked nothing like he did at Wimbledon to me, where I thought he was mentally locked in. And Los Cabos, I didn't see a lot of, but he won the title, so I'm assuming he looked pretty engaged there. It, it, it almost looked like he threw in the towel um, in the second set once he went down a break. Because I, I just wasn't really seeing a lot of fight and spark from him. And, uh... I don't know how I feel about that. But ultimately, I, I just think it's yeah very very tough quarter. Especially if Korda starts to play good tennis again, which he hasn't since Queens. It's it's just stacked. Bottom half is uh, Karen Hatchinov, who I could have put on upset alert as well. Uh, he is drawn up against Andy Murray. Is that match going to happen? I don't know. I mean, I'd have to assume over 50% chance Murray pulls out. I don't know who Hatchinov's going to play. But obviously, Hatchinov coming off of injury would have been, as the 11 seed, a candidate for upset alert. I also think Borna Chorich would have been a great candidate for upset alert as he plays Sebastian Korda in the first round. I decided to just make that my early popcorn because I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Korda, uh, American, obviously, probably gets center court. And Cincy should get center court against the defending champion in the first round. High stakes for Chorich. Kind of high stakes for Korda as well. I feel like he's expected to do something here, maybe before the U.S. Open, and kind of get some positive momentum going. That's a good one. I lean Korda in that one, personally. Let's get to the pick. Uh, I am going to go with Andre Rublev defeating Stefanos Tsitsipas. Again, this is kind of a nod to how well Tsitsipas has played in Cincinnati. I'm not, I, I won't quite go far enough to pick him to get upset. The other thing with Eubanks, and this is nothing about Chris in particular. I would say this about any 27-year-old who broke out in the manner that Eubanks has broken out here. 
he is kind of in a phase for me where it's kind of like, all right, you know, prove it. Prove that this is how good you really are. You know, he's in that phase for me. Again, it's nothing against him. It's anyone who's 20, any player who's 27 year old, years old and suddenly does what Eubanks just did, you're still going to kind of be in a proof, just a sample size thing. It's still a small sample size. That's all. Rublev plays Tsitsipas really well. Head-to-head is 6-6. Andres had really good results at Cincinnati throughout his career as well. Made the final in 2021. Made the quarterfinal in 2019. Beat Federer, which uh, in 2019... Wait, that wasn't 2019, was it? Am I getting... I, I forget if I have the year right or not. I think it was 2019. Yeah, so, you know, he's made some noise in Cincinnati. He likes these courts. And he does a really good job of attacking Tsitsipas' backhand. I just kind of trust Andre a little bit more right now. I kind of know what I'm getting from him. A little bit uh, less so than Tsitsipas, dare I say. At the same time, Rublev got beat pretty bad by Mackie McDonald last week. I didn't really see that coming. And I'm not really sure what happened. I missed that match. Didn't see it, to be completely honest. But I'm going Rublev over Tsitsipas. Let's go to Medvedev's quarter. By the way, Rublev just has a better draw. And that's a big part of it. Let me quickly just say who it is. I mean, Rublev, uh, Rusevori are a qualifier. I mean, sure, Rusevori can sometimes catch fire. But he's a good ma- uh, good matchup against uh, Rublev. And then you have Hachinov, Murray, Safulin, Jari. Jari and Safulin both kind of dangerous. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in, in comparison to uh, the opponents that Tsitsipas has to deal with, I'm sorry, Rublev just has a much, much better draw. So that's another reason for going Andre. Uh, Medvedev's quarter. You got Holger Runa, FAA, Felix Ojeh Aliasim, and Alexander Zverev. My dark horse here is Grigor Dimitrov. Really have my eyes out um, on Dimitrov, who... Uh, it's just been super consistent, you know, just quietly having the best year that he's had since 2017. And uh, he's someone who's played historically really, really well in Cincinnati. You know, last time we saw him, uh, it was the semifinals in Washington. The time before that, it was the fourth round at Wimbledon, uh, where he gave Holger Runa a good match that was high quality. Uh, the week before that, it was quarterfinals at Queens Club, losing to Alcaraz. The... Tournament before that, it was round of 16 at Roland Garros. Before that, it was final in Geneva. I mean, holy God. Uh, Then it was uh, second round loss to Djokovic, second round loss to Alcaraz. The last time uh, Dimitrov played a tournament and didn't either lose to an elite player or win more than two matches was literally Barcelona when Dimonor... No, Demonor didn't even beat him. Dimitrov had to pull out with injury. That was a walkover. So you have to go back to Monte Carlo, where he lost to the second round in the second round against uh, Yuri Lahechka. And then quickly, I am going to pull up his exact uh, Cincinnati career stats uh, because they're excellent. He won it in 2017, beat Kyrgios in the final. Uh, lifetime 18-11. Uh, a very good record. Lost to Shapovalov last year in the first round. He's much better than he this year than he was last year. Year before he lost to Medvedev, 
who ended up did he did he win it? I don't think he won it. I think no, he did not win it. He lost in the semis. Yeah, he lost to TT Pass in the semis. Okay, let's move on. Upset alert is FAA. Yeah, he's um he has to play Berrettini. So again, sometimes you just get in a rut. It's kind of hard to break out of it. Here now he gets a bad draw. Felix has had some results in Cincinnati in the past. He did well last year. He made the quarters. He lost to Chorich. But he's an underdog against Berrettini. I mean, that much is clear. Popcorn match. Uh, as I just kind of sung the praises of Grigor Dimitrov, he does have to play Alexander Zverev, or Alexander Zverev has to play him. I think it works both ways in this case. In the first round, that's my early popcorn. No doubt about it. I don't know if there were any other candidates. I mean, obviously, FAA Berrettini was a good candidate for early popcorn match as well. Uh, Daniil Medvedev could have an interesting first match. He'll play the winner of Dan Evans and Lorenzo Musetti. Evans is kind of a, uh, not kind of, just a very tricky matchup for Medvedev. And Musetti, Medvedev beat in Toronto, but Musetti's just a pretty, he's playing really well. And that's just not a guy who you want to play in your first match in a tournament. Here's the deal with this quarter. This is mostly about draw. This is an unbalanced draw. And that is why my prediction is what it is. I have Holger Runa defeating Daniil Medvedev and advancing to the semifinal out of this quarter. Look. Runa took a loss to Marcos Giron. First round last week. He hasn't done much on outdoor hard courts. And part of me is like, let me see it happen before I back him or, or pick him to do well. At the same time, you know, it's just an outdoor hard court. Like, Holger's going to be fine and win in these conditions. It's not. It's not all that complicated uh, or, or difficult. Um, and he just is on the better side here. There's just a lot of hurdles here. In terms of how Daniil's playing, I actually didn't... I didn't mind... I thought he looked okay in Canada. I think he's going to make some adjustments and find a little bit more power again and probably play pretty well here so I don't know how confident I am with this pick but I, I do think that there are a lot of hurdles for him whereas Runa has uh, just a, a much easier section here with Felix being his seed and I mean there's Mateo who historically just doesn't do well here doesn't do well at, at any of the hardcore masters really Manorino, Gazkay, Hoffman, Mackie McDonald. This is a good opportunity for Holger to, to kind of get it going and have his first big result at a uh, on a hardcourt Masters. Let us go on now to Novak Djokovic's quarter. He returns to North America where uh, he has not played in Cincinnati since 2019, I believe, right? Because in 2020, that's the last time he played the Western and Southern. But of course, that was in New York. Uh, he did win. He did win it that year. He beat Milos Raonic in the final. 
Uh, his top seeds are Yannick Sinner, Taylor Fritz, and Cameron Nori. Dark horse here is Yuri Lehechka. Lehechka um, is pretty dangerous on a, on a quick court like this when he's making balls. I mean, his forehand is uh, one of the more muscular weapons on the tour already. Also brings some good heat on his first serve. I don't think you want to play him. Uh, upset alert is Yannick Sinner. Again, I, I think it's a tough turnaround here with uh, being in the being in the final in Toronto. Um, whether he wins it or, or he loses it, uh, I think it, it will be tough to turn around and play. Who does he play here? Uh, winner of Francisco Serendolo in a qualifier. Lahechka and Fritz first round. That's an interesting one, by the way. Nori versus Monfils first round. I went with that for my early popcorn. I'm I'm really curious to see if Gale can um can keep winning right now. I really like how he's I I I love I love how he looks physically, first and foremost. I just think he he looks great physically, and that is going to kind of, the rest will follow because that's the concern at his age with his injury history. So I'm, I'm fired up for Gale, and I'm curious just to watch Nori to see when he can kind of break out of this, this slump that he's in. Quarterfinal. I got Novak Djokovic defeating Taylor Fritz. Let's start with Fritz. Look, Taylor has played a lot of hardcore tennis. Wins Atlanta, makes the semis in Washington, loses a tough one to Greeksport. I think he was getting a little bit tired. Um, and then last week, he loses in a third set to Demonor, who's a pretty troublesome matchup for, for Taylor. So I'm not down on his level overall. I think he's playing pretty decent tennis. And... I think he's going to be in rhythm here and wanting it really, really badly. He's good on the American hard courts. So I'm pretty confident in Taylor this week. And Novak. I expect Novak to do much better coming back here at Cincinnati than what we've seen him coming back uh, in Monte Carlo, for example, where, where he struggled in past years. First of all, Closer proximity to the U.S. Open. A fast hard court versus a slow clay court. I think it's just, it suits him more to come back on a faster hard court. Something tells me he's just going to hit the ground running here. That's my gut. I think he's going to make, I think he's going to feel that it's important to kind of send a message to the locker room that he's not going anywhere after the loss in the Wimbledon final. And Novak tends to be very aware of, of these kinds of things. So I think we'll get a motivated Novak and a Novak who's going to be fresh and, and feeling really, really good. Uh, semifinals, Alcaraz defeats Rublev in three sets. Djokovic defeats Runa in two sets. And I actually didn't fill in the slide. So I'm going to have to verbal this. Uh, in the final, I believe Djokovic defeats Alcaraz in three sets. I think Novak will be fresher. We know how close it is likely to be between these two if they were to play in a final like this. 
And uh, yeah, I think Novak comes back and he wins Cincinnati. At the same time, I'm not really feeling like this is likely. Alcaraz Djokovic final, although it is where my prediction went, I, I I'm not feeling it honestly. I I think one of them loses. You know, Djokovic uh, coming off of a layoff, Alcaraz not looking the, all that good last week. It doesn't really feel like this is a super likely outcome. It feels like we're just in a moment right now where there are question marks about almost everybody, which is kind of exciting. Now, what does that mean for the U.S. Open? Maybe not much because at the end of the day, if you look at what has been the pattern this year, the Masters 1000s have been very unpredictable. The Majors, for the most part, there are exceptions, right? Like Tommy Paul, Australian Open semifinalist, uh, for the most part, the majors have not been unpredictable. The majors have gone uh, much closer to uh, how you would expect them to go. Uh, but the Masters, not so much. It's it's just going to be fascinating to see who can find some form ahead of the U.S. Open because uh, it is it is valuable. You don't want to play poorly at both Toronto and Cincinnati heading into New York. It's not ideal, but it's going to happen to somebody just given how last week went. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.